0: This is episode one of our series on Rhythms of Grace, where we focus on simplicity. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us at GatewayBaptist.com.au. G'day, everyone. Great to be with you this morning. Great to have you here in the room. Great to have you joining with us through Gateway Online this morning. Fantastic to be here as we kick off a brand new series today called Rhythms of Grace. And life is filled with rhythms, isn't it? And then in the morning, the sun rises and the, the world wakes up. There is a bustle of activity, of energy and life. And then it just continues through the day as the, as the sun arcs its way through the sky until it reaches beyond the horizon. And the world begins to shift to quietness, to rest, and to regeneration. And that happens day after day. The days turn into weeks, and the weeks turn into months, and the months into seasons. Summer into autumn, autumn into winter, winter into spring, and then back to summer. But really here in Queensland, if you're part of uh, my family at least, there's only really two seasons, footy season and cricket season. <laughs> uh, the earth responds in a similar way. the earth responds by producing fruit and crops in accordance with the rhythms that God has set for us. And animals come and go as the world follows the pattern that God finally tuned into it. And if you've ever seen The Lion King, it's like Elton John tells us in his lyrics, it's a circle of life and it moves us all. Now, I don't think you really want to build your theology based on Disney movies, particularly The Lion King, although it's one of my favourites. But the reality is that God has put rhythms into this world. And from the beginning, life has been created with a beat that provides the foundation for a fruitful song. We've been created with the, the rhythms and the patterns of this life, the beat that God has given us. And when he set the world in motion, he marked out that beat. And this rhythm, it guides us. It defines us. And if we, we find our groove in it, when we surrender to these God-given rhythms. But we are humans, and humans don't like the idea of surrender. We much prefer to march to the beat of our own drum. And we get determined to, to actually go our own way, to forge our own path, to make our own beat up. But we don't like to be tamed, so we make up our own rhythm. And we live in this mantra of go your own way, do your own thing. But without God's understanding of the natural rhythms of creation, we get thrown off kilter. Our rhythms are offbeat. They're syncopated and they clash with the God-designed rhythms that we were created for. At other times, we are simply swept up in the current of our modern world. We get hurried. We get distracted. And with our world's focus on progress and urgency and always being on, we find ourselves pressured to operate they at a much more hurried rhythm than the God-ordained beat. And we don't reflect on the rhythms that God calls us to. And if we don't slow down, the, the, these rhythms of the world can have a damaging impact on our well-being. When we're not surrendered to the rhythms that God has made for us, we move away from the plan and the purpose that our hearts were created for. When we allow these other rhythms, these rhythms of the world, these rhythms that we, only, that we create on our own, if they are the ones that control and guide us, our hearts and lives move away from who and where God wants us to be. And we experience worry, stress, anxiety, and fear. But Jesus calls us back to himself. In the midst of this fast-paced world, Jesus reminds us to surrender to the rhythms that God has created us for. Jesus invites us into a radical way of living, a countercultural life that marches to his beat and not our own. And it's not the way that the world walks. In fact, it takes courage and faith to walk it. And even though we might be surrounded by the pressures and challenges of this modern world, Jesus invites us to surrender to his ways and his rhythms, to follow his example. Of living a life according to God's rhythm. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. We're gonna read this from the message translation this morning. It's our verse for the series. Jesus says, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Come get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus says, walk with me. Work with me. Learn the unforced rhythms of his grace. Discover the beat that you were designed to follow. Surrender yourself to God's good plan and learn to live freely and lightly in Him. Hey, why don't we thank Joel Eames this morning. Thanks, Jolly. So over the next five weeks, we're going to explore some of these rhythms of grace that Jesus calls us to. We'll discover through the life and teaching of Jesus how to enter His invitation to shape our lives around these rhythms. You may have heard these rhythms described as spiritual disciplines or a rule of life, which sounds something like monks hidden away in monasteries do. But the reality is, we all live by a rule of life. We might never actually fully articulate it, but it's there in our background. And so, this series is an opportunity to reflect on that rule of life, reflect and practice those spiritual disciplines. I don't really love the term spiritual disciplines. It sounds really hard. And I prefer to call these spiritual practices because we're continually practicing them and getting better at them to learn the unforced rhythm of God's grace. Pastor and author Adele Calhoun challenges us to some gospel-inspired intent around building spiritual practices and rhythms of life. She says a rule of life offers unique and regular rhythms that free and open each person to the will and presence of Christ. The spiritual practices of a rule provide a way to partner with the Holy Spirit for personal transformation. I believe that God wants to do a transformative work within us over these next five weeks. As we explore some really practical and pragmatic ways, a range of spiritual practices. I believe God is going to use them to draw us closer to Jesus. They're going to help us develop a greater awareness of his presence. And they're going to shape us to become more like Christ. And I actually think the rhythm of these school holidays gives us an opportunity to do something a bit different. I think this rhythm is going to be a blessing. My prayer is it will put some of these spiritual practices in action. Over the next few weeks, even a bunch of you youth who are here, uh, your high schoolers who normally be up at YC, encourage you to listen today, take hold of some of these practices and then develop them into your life over the next few weeks. I want to encourage you also, if you're part of a life group, uh, to grab one of the life group booklets on your way out. And even if you're not part of that life, a life group yet, pick up one of those booklets because there's some fantastic resources, some great reflection questions to help you on this journey. I want to encourage you to share your experiences and your learnings with others as you go on this journey of learning God's unforced rhythms of grace. And so we start today by exploring the simple, uh, the spiritual practice of simplicity, the spiritual practice of simplicity. We live in an incredibly complex world, don't we? You don't have to look far to find complexity and mess. All you have to do is probably look into your home. If you're anything like our home, it's it's pretty easy to find a mess and find complexity. Or maybe it's your desk at work. You know, your office is just a mess. There's unfinished tasks, there's unwashed clothes, unwanted items all floating about. It's a little bit of an insight into our world at the moment in the Lucas family. Lauren is away this weekend at our Gateway Young Adults spiritual retreat uh, not spiritual retreat, uh, Gateway Young Adults retreat—and uh, I'm single-dating it this weekend. And uh, this afternoon, I've got about two hours to clean up the house, which is nowhere near enough. It's like a bombshell has gone off in there. Please pray for us. But life is complex. It can be complex at home or in the office. It's complex around us. Now, as we humans have taken over the planet, we see complexity everywhere. A great example is the highway crossover. They're super complex, they're difficult to find your way through. And if you think that it's only America and other parts of the world that have them, if you've ever driven out of the Clem Jones Tunnel uh, into the inner north side of Brisbane, it's a concrete jungle over there. There's on-ramps and off-ramps, highways, crossovers, bridges. It's an absolute nightmare, super complicated really thankful for GPS and, and Satnav nav to help us navigate through those things. But complexity isn't always observable or tangible either. There's complexity in our relationships. I asked someone the other day and, uh, about their relationships, and that classic line comes out, you know, oh, it's complicated. You know, our, our relationships are complicated. We could spend six weeks just looking at simplicity. And in a way, all these practices we'll explore in this series are designed to bring us to a simpler way of life, the simpler way of life that God has designed for us. But the reality is that in the first century in Judea, Jesus' followers lived into a complex world as well. They were trying to make sense of things going around them. They were trying to make sense of the cultural and the political environment that they lived in it was incredibly complex with Roman leaders and Jewish authorities. They lived in an increasingly material world where what you owned and what you wore indicated your standing in the social pecking order. And they lived with a religion that was becoming increasingly, increasingly corrupt and further away from what God's original intent was. And maybe they didn't face all of the exact challenges and distractions that we face today. But the challenges and difficulties were real to them, and the truth that Jesus shared with them 2,000 years ago still echoes as truth today. We're going to read some of that wisdom that Jesus shared from the Sermon on the Mount this morning. Now, this uh, popular, this really well-known sermon in Matthew's chapter five and six. We're going to read a little bit of what Jesus says. About how to live simply. So, if you want to join along, you can uh, pick up your Bibles and open them to Matthew chapter 6 or open your app to Matthew chapter 6 this morning. I'm going to read from verse 25. Jesus says this Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body and what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? In my Bible, this part of the Sermon on the Mount comes with the title, Do Not Worry. And this is Jesus' message message to his followers. Do not worry. Do not worry about what you'll wear. Do not worry about what you'll eat or drink. Don't get worked up about these things. Don't sweat the small stuff he's saying. Don't let these questions consume you. But first, seek the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus' followers were stressing over what threads to wear, clamoring over what food to buy and drink, but Jesus cuts through all of that with a message of simplicity. He says, seek first God's kingdom. God knows what you need. If you simply seek him first, God will look after you, he says, just like he looks after the birds of the air and clothes the fields with flowers. Jesus knows that the pursuit of stuff in life leads to worry and anxiety, and it robs us of the true joy that he offers us. He also knows that if we instead trust in him, he'll invite us into a new way of life, a new rhythm of grace that will bless others and will bless ourselves. See, complexity brings worry, but simplicity brings calm. And living a life of simplicity doesn't have to be complex. This morning, we're going to explore three different areas of our life where God just might want to challenge you this morning about living more simply. And in each of these three areas, I'm going to give you something really practical, really pragmatic, really simple, a practice to do that will hopefully help you live a life of simplicity. And one of the things that we worry about most is money. Do I have enough of it? How can I get more of it? On what will I spend it? We have this preoccupation in our culture around money. Even my kids now comment on the way to school whether the price of petrol is the right price to fill up at. My son particularly says, oh, dad, it's cheap today. You should fill up. And every pronouncement from the Reserve Bank is waited on with bated breath. And our and media magnifies this with horror predictions about the impending economic doom. But money is what the world makes the world go round. And Jesus knew this. In his time when he walked the earth, money was a big thing then too. In fact, for Jesus, he spoke 40 parables in his time that are recorded in the Scriptures. Over a quarter of them revolve around or have the theme of money. And just before we read, we read the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the passages that we read this morning, Jesus actually preached about money. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and and despise the other. Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. Money brings a lot of complexity to our world, and it can bring a lot of worry. And that's what Jesus was saying to his followers here. Do not worry about those things. Don't chase after all those things. The pagans run after that. The ones who don't have any frame of reference for a loving or caring God. That's what they concern themselves with. Jesus is saying, don't be like the pagans. Don't worry about money. Trust in your Father's goodness. It's all His anyway. All the money, all the material possessions, all the blessings that we have, it all comes from the Father. Jesus says, just stop it. Stop chasing after it. Live simply with your wallet. Live simply and live generously. I want to ask you a rhetorical question this morning. You don't have to put your hand up or anything, but... I want to ask you, do you know where your money goes? The paycheck that you get each fortnight, the the income that you draw from your business, the payments you might get from the government, what happens to it? Does it get spent? Does it get saved? It's an illuminating exercise to actually go through your accounts and figure out where your money goes. But if you were to do that, what would you discover about your generosity? Do you live generously? See, one of the ways that we can make sure that money doesn't become our God, one of the key ways we can live simply with our wallets is to be generous with what he gives us. The church gets a bit of a bad rap in our culture sometimes because of this, uh, this concept of the tithe. You know, this teaching, which is out of the, uh, out of the Bible, out of the ancient history, that we are to give 10% of our income to God. And this practice actually stretches all the way back to Abraham. And there are examples of the tithe all throughout Scripture. It's one of the things that God commands his people to do. But if we reduce being generous just to giving 10%, we rob ourselves of the biblical mandate to generosity. There's a barely mentioned law found in the book of Leviticus. And Leviticus is a book full of laws for God's people. These laws were handed down to God's people thousands of years ago. And while we now live in the grace of Jesus' new covenant, There are some fascinating laws that give us insight into God's heart. Like this one in Leviticus chapter 19. God says to his people, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. See, God is instructing his people not to harvest every last ear of wheat, not to pick up every last grape. He says to his people, leave margin, be generous. He instructs them elsewhere to give a tithe and to give their offerings, to practice hospitality. But God is also teaching them to practice generosity by creating margin for those who are less well-off. I had a lecturer at Bible college who put a modern-day spin on this law, and every month he withdrew $50 cash and just carried it around in his wallet to bless someone as and when the need arose. I wonder this morning whether we have margin in our finances to be generous. Between you and me, I actually think it's pretty easy to find margins to be generous, even when we think we might not have it. This morning, I want to give you a a practical challenge in each of these areas. And today, I want you to do something practical to see where your margin is going. I want to challenge you to go home after church today and have a look. Review all the subscriptions that you have and see where your money is going, just automatically being sucked out of your account every month. Have a look at the things that you subscribe to. Maybe you subscribe to things monthly like Netflix or KO or Disney. Maybe you've got a gym subscription or some sort of food subscription, a health subscription, and an app subscription. Identify all your subscriptions and then ask yourself, do I really need them all? Could I cancel a bunch of these and not really lose much? You might just find that you've got more margin than you thought. You might actually find a bunch of dollars each month that could be better put into growing God's kingdom. Investing into something outside of yourself and your earthly pursuits, into something that will have an eternal impact. Go and review your subscriptions a little bit later today and try to find margin for generosity. See, God calls us to live simply with our wallets. What can you cancel in order to live more generously? The second area that God, uh, pr- pr- sorry, that provides a lot of worry for us is our work. And before you say, well, Tim, I don't have a job, you I'm, I'm, count me out. I actually want to redefine what I mean by that work word. When I say work, I don't just mean your occupation. I mean what you do in your waking hours. What happens in your world after the moment from when you wake up and get out of bed through to when you crash into, into bed and sleep again? Whether that's physically going to work or whether that's socializing with friends or whether that's running the household, whatever we get up to across a day, a lot happens between waking up and falling asleep. And there's a huge challenge in living simply with our work because it can cause us a lot of worry and stress. But Jesus encourages his followers. He says, don't worry. Don't worry about what you'll eat, a drink, what your body, can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life. Jesus says later, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is, is encouraging us here to not get worked up about what's in store for us. But it's easier said than done to not worry, right? Worry and anxiety is almost at pandemic levels in our society. And getting wrapped up with worry and stress can be incredibly crippling. But I believe Jesus wants us to live a life of simplicity in our work. And the key to doing that is to find a clear focus. A clear focus guides our decisions. A clear focus helps us not to worry. A clear focus helps us to make life simpler. And Jesus actually shows us how to do this in Mark chapter 1. See, his disciples find him after a big day of ministry. He's been healing people in this one town, and in the next day there's more people coming along to get healing and to seek Jesus. But Jesus has a different focus. When his disciples say, hey, let's go back to that healing thing. That was really cool. It's really good to see you at work, Jesus. Jesus replies, and he says, let's go somewhere else Let's go to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Jesus actually said no to something good. So he could say yes to something better. Because Jesus found a really clear focus. There are so many good options in this world. So many great things that we can do. So many awesome things that we get wrapped up in. But if we're not wise about what we say yes to, we'll end up with an incredibly complex life. We'll let worry and anxiety take over, and we'll lose out on the really important things that God is calling us to. And we have to learn to say no to some of the good things so that we can say yes to some of the God things. And Jesus was singularly focused on one simple task. Let us go somewhere else so I can preach. That is why I have come. So here's a practical challenge for living with simplicity in our work. I want to challenge you at the start of each and every day, ask yourself, what are the big three things that need to get accomplished today? What are the three most important things that need to get done? There may be a million things that you think might need to happen. Maybe there's a bunch of things that are in competition for your attention. But what are the three most important priorities today? This is something that I try to do every day. I sit down, I look at my calendar, I think and pray about what's coming up and I identify my big three, my top three for the day. And this gives me focus. It gives me clarity. And sure, I might end up doing a whole lot more than just three things. But I keep asking myself, what are the three things that if I just do them, I'll feel like I'm moving the needle? This is a really helpful rhythm to get into. Asking yourself, what are my big three and simplifying what your focus is for the day. And this practice is helpful regardless of how much you've got on in your life. Maybe you've got a crazy busy work, you know, your job, your occupation. There's a lot going on. That practice of identifying the top three things will help you clarify your day. I've got to make that phone call. I've got to transport the kids over there. I've got to buy that gift. Life can be crazy busy, but narrowing it down to three can help give you focus and a sense of achievement once you tick those things off your list. Or if life's a little slower, identifying three things to do can actually give you motivation. I know I just need to get these three things done. It'll motivate you to get off that gaming console or stop flicking through your phone. It'll bring you back to focus and accomplishment. And sure, you might end up doing more than those three things, but start by making it simple. Add it into your daily practice. What are my big three today? And if you're not quite ready for that, maybe practice for the week ahead. What are my big three priorities this week? Just in the simple act of writing them down will take the worry away. And as you get into the practice of asking that question, of finding a clear focus, you'll start to live a simpler life. In your work. Finally this morning, there's one more area to practice simplicity in. We've looked at living simply with your wallet, living simply with your work. And lastly this morning, I want to challenge you to live simply in your walk. Live simply in your walk of faith with Jesus. I'll finish with this one because I want this one to ring around in your heads for a little while longer. This is the most important one. If you weave the rhythm of these spiritual practices in your spiritual life, you'll see everything else in a different life, light. In the verse that we read out earlier, Jesus finishes with the encouragement to his disciples. He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or chasing around these things. He says instead, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He says, seek first his kingdom. Make God your number one priority. Jesus says it really simply. He breaks down all the complexity with this simple statement of seeking God first. Not seeking last, not seeking when you get to it, not seeking whenever you want, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So what does it look like to seek first the kingdom of God? I want to suggest a really simple practice here again, and it's a practice straight out of the life of Jesus, and that's the practice of solitude and silence. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus practicing silence and solitude a lot. We looked at a story before of Mark's Gospels where Jesus was really clear on his focus, but just before that, he spent some time in silence and solitude. Mark says that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, and keep in mind, this is after he's been healing all these people in the village. While it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Everyone's looking for you, Jesus. Jesus had had this busy day of ministry and healing, but the first thing he did the next morning was to get away from it all. He found some solitude and some silence, and he spent some time with the author of time. Jesus sought first his father's kingdom. And if the King of kings and Lord of lords spends time in silence and solitude, surely we can do the same. This is, we've looked at a bunch of practical things this morning, but this is probably the simplest, yet also the most significant. If you can master this, if you can seek first his kingdom, this will give you a completely different perspective. So here's the challenge. Every day for the next week, that's the next seven days, first week of the school holidays. And kids, you can do this as well. High schoolers, this is simple to do. Every day, I want to encourage you, this is the very first thing that you do in the morning. I want to challenge you to find some silence and solitude with God, to seek first his kingdom and spend some time with the author of time. Spend some time with God before you touch your phone. Maybe that means getting an old school alarm clock and putting your phone in a different room when you go to sleep. Spend time first with God before you eat anything. Even spend time with God first before you talk with your family in any depth. Seek first his kingdom and spend some time in solitude and silence. Maybe it's just a couple of minutes to begin with. Maybe it's an hour. But I want to challenge you to spend first some time with him in the morning. You may have some great ideas around how to connect with God in that time. But if you haven't, can I suggest something really simple? It's straight out of scripture from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul says when we pray, he says, Do not be anxious about anything. Sounds familiar, right? Do not worry. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Notice what he says here. He says, Every time when you pray, do it with thanksgiving and present your requests. So two things as you spend time with God first thing in the morning. Number one, spend some time saying thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for maybe that thing that happened yesterday. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercies of a new day. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Just spend some time saying thank you. And then number two, pray your pleas. Bring your requests to Jesus. Jesus, would you please help me with that task today? Jesus, would you please give me patience with my spouse or my kids today? Jesus, would you give me your wisdom for the big decisions that I need to make today? It's pretty simple. Just pray your thank yous and your pleas. You may have other ways to spend time with the author of time, but if you're out of rhythm, find some silence and solitude every day this week and talk to Jesus about those two things. Thank you and please. We're going to be spending some time over the next few weeks looking at other spiritual practices like prayer and reading your Bible and singing and all that sort of stuff. But I want to encourage you this week to seek first His kingdom. And a little bit of a bonus. We, we've been blessed, uh, sadly, I suppose, uh, for the holiday this week. But we've been blessed in these school holidays to have two holidays. A day remembering for, of remembrance for the Queen this coming Thursday and then and October 4, a Queen's birthday holiday. I want to challenge you, if you've heard all this stuff today, and you go, oh man, I'm already doing all that, I'm ticking all those boxes, I'm doing well, where's the challenge in all of this? I want to challenge you to give up one of those days and spend it in silence and solitude on a spiritual retreat with God. That's a big challenge. I know that not everybody's going to take that challenge. But it's a, it's a good opportunity because there's two different holidays. If you're a, a married couple, you know, the, one, of them, one of you can take the kids one day uh, whilst the other goes on the spiritual retreat, and then you can swap. Or if you're single, you can take two spiritual retreat days. But in my own life, over the last few years, I've tried really hard to have a spiritual retreat day every quarter. And it's been one of the most significant things that has helped me stay sane stay connected with God, and stay in the long run in ministry. A spiritual retreat day doesn't have to be difficult. It doesn't have to be complex. It just means taking away the distractions. Maybe going away somewhere or maybe having your, uh, your, your spouse take the kids for the day. And just spend some time in solitude and silence with Jesus. Maybe it's about reading a Christian book. Maybe it's about going on a big, long prayer walk. Maybe it's about doing some journaling and reflecting on the term that has been and looking forward for the term ahead, asking Jesus to guide your priorities. I want to challenge you to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And everything else, God says, He says, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Make seeking God your priority. We've covered a lot of ground this morning, and hopefully you've got some practical steps from here, something to do, some homework. But we've got a bunch of resources available on these practices. The Life Group series book that, as I mentioned before, has got some great links to some excellent things. There's also some amazing books out there, and I've just listed a few. Bev's going to throw it up on screen. A few of these books that, uh, that I can vouch for. You might want to take your phone out and uh, take a photo of these if you're looking for some holiday reading, something that, uh, that would uh, will just challenge you in your spiritual practices, in your walk with Jesus. It's a great time as we enter in this new season of spring. The days are warmer and the, the days are longer. It's a great opportunity to reflect and to, to mix one of, a, one of your practices up a little bit. I can vouch for each of these books, encourage you to, uh, to take a snap of them and to, uh, to look them up Maybe even buy one and, and uh, I don't get any payment or anything. Don't stress about that. But, but maybe you, uh, you can read one of those and allow God to speak to you through some Christian authors. But this morning, I hope that you hear that Jesus invites you into a life of simplicity. He invites you into a, a, a world. He invites you into a rhythm of grace, a, a life that is not about worry and anxiety, but instead a life that is about seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness. I want to encourage you to look to Jesus, the one who gave up His life for us, the one who took our sins on the cross, who surrendered Himself to die a painful death, and in so doing taking on the sins of the world so that those who trust in Him could be welcomed in to an eternal family. In a complex world where it is so easy, so tempting to worry, Jesus calls us to simply come. Come to the foot of the cross. Let our anxieties, let our worries go, and instead seek Him first. We can only do that by surrendering to Him. In life, we hold on so tightly to those things that we want to control. We hold on so tightly to our wallets, We hold on so tightly to our work. We even hold on so tightly to our time that we can't hand it over to Jesus without surrendering. And so this morning, as we conclude, I want to create a moment in this space, joining us online, create a space just to surrender to Jesus, just to come to the foot of the cross and to lay your life down, cast your worries and your cares on him, And as you leave those things that you hold on so tightly to at the foot of the cross, just allow Jesus to replace that with His unforced rhythms of grace. Walk and work with Him, and you'll discover walking in freedom and in light. I want to invite us all to stand right now. We're going to sing this song as a, as a prayer. It's a song that was written over 120 odd years ago. It's a song that simply is a prayer of surrender. Just saying to Jesus, I surrender all. And this morning, I want to invite you just to respond in your own way. Maybe as we sing this song, you, you need to just hold your hands out figuratively and let go of the thing that you hold on so tightly to. Maybe this morning, you actually need to, bow a knee and kneel at the cross and say, Jesus, I just give it all to you. Or maybe you just want to lift your hands in praise saying, Lord, I abandon it all to you. Whether you're here in the room or joining us in line online, I encourage you in this moment to surrender all to Jesus. Come to the foot of the cross. Seek first his righteousness. Let go. And let God show you his unforced rhythms of grace. Let's uh, sing this song together as a prayer this morning. morning, we come to you at the foot of the cross. We surrender all to you. God, we lay down our burdens. We lay down our worries. We lay down the things that we've been holding on so tightly to. And we say, Jesus, would you take them from us? God, would you help us not to worry, not to go chasing after the things of this world, but instead to seek first your kingdom? Jesus, we surrender all to you, our King, our Lord, our Saviour, and our God. Lord, would you help us to discover your unforced rhythms of grace. Lord, would we walk freely and lightly in your way as we continue to come to the foot of the cross and lay our lives down. Jesus, we surrender all to you this morning. Amen. Amen. Hey, why don't we continue to sing this song? The band's going to swell, and we're going to continue to sing this song as a prayer, as an act of worship, as an act of surrender to Jesus this morning.